Change will come to those who have no fear. But I am not her. You never were the kind who kept a rule book near. Burned me like a pair of thieves, tumbled locks and broken codes. Welcome to Believe TV, the podcast of the best shows on TV, and I'm Zach. I'm Jake. And tonight's True Detective, um, episode 205, it was called Other Lives. Um, I think appropriately named for the one time this year. Very fitting. Um, the director was John Crowley. Um, almost no credits. This guy is out of left field. Done some Broadway stuff, a few other things. Nothing I've ever seen or known. And I'll go ahead and say good props for a True Detective episode. Oh, absolutely. I give him um, all the props. And of course. Pizzolatto, the writer again. Um, let's go right to the thoughts. What did you think, Bob? This is my favorite episode. Uh, I was a little nervous at first because, you know, they obviously time jumped a little bit. I can't tell if it's been a week, a couple weeks, a month, whatever. 66 days or 67 days. It's 66 days since the murder. Not, Correct. Not For- since the shootout. But so if you did the math, you could you would say, assumingly, they've worked a few weeks on the case before the Vinci Massacre. So we could say at least a month or better. Yeah, but I'm still... You know, the way they opened the episode with CSI working the oh, massacre yeah, the and then jumping well, immediately to... like ambulances and paramedics and everything. No, I mean, it was like First responders. Right, right. So that messes with a little bit of the time jump to me. Yeah. But, okay, so anyway... I'll say a minimum, it's been a week since the shootout and stuff, right? Um, But I was worried at the beginning of the episode because they like jumped into their stuff and they were kind of just focusing on what their new lives are. And I was like, I don't have time for this. You know, like, it's cool, (laughs) but let's get to the plot because you only have a few episodes left. I want to see where this goes. So I was glad that they quickly got off of that and got them together again working the case. Yeah. Um... I enjoyed most of the episode. Um, I don't know if I'd call it my favorite. Um, I would definitely say it was the most revealing. Um, definitely more breadcrumbs, more composition, more put you back on track with the overall plot that you want to know. You know, and to me at least, the, which is the case, the murder, the investigation. Um, I think this episode was fantastic to show you the amazing acting chops of Colin Farrell. I thought he was incredible. This is the quintessential peak of what I've seen him do, and it ranks him above a lot of people that I never would have thought of. And uh, I want to give him a lot of credit in this episode because I really, really, any scene with him in this episode was incredible. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, plus, just. A great little action. I mean, the, the ass whipping on Piddler and, um, you know, the different things they showed. It was just, it was really, really good. The only things that made it really suffer is this episode really exposed, which I've been fighting this feeling forever, is the writing and acting of Vince Vaughn. Unfortunately, this one was just the opposite of Colin Farrell. Unfortunately, that just, I mean, some of the lines coming out, you know, blue balls of the heart and, you know, gangster stuff and all this. And then 
there just doesn't seem like a lot of chemistry between him and Jordan. It just it just seems so forced and pushed, and it's just. I really don't know if it's just Vince Vaughn or it's just the writing, but I just unfortunately think it's a deadly combination. And because don't get me wrong, there are some parts that he does really, really well. When he's sarcastic and he's in hot, te- you know, hot temper and acting out, he does great. You know, when he's at high emotion, but when he's just talking and speaking dialogue and da da da, it never comes out like I want it to. Uh, and like we've said in the past, it just some of the stuff they say just so completely out of bounds or random i just don't know anybody who talks like that you know that's just one part of it and then i'm starting to notice more and more this is because of this episode it feels like a combination of played out movies and you know common nor from california i mean you really look at this episode and this whole season we're like half chinatown and half la confidential i mean think we got Powerful men, you know, working in the background, women being abused, murder, missing people, you know, groups of cops investigating it. And half the time, you know, halfway through these things, you think you've got the thing solved and come to find out later it's something else. I mean, we're almost following that same type of uh, format just uh, with Nick Pizzolatto's really creative, you know, input on everything and how he writes and, you know, makes his show. And so that right there is, doesn't bother me a whole lot, but it's not diverging from it like the first season did. And gosh, I hate comparison first season because I've always told me, don't, don't do that. But unfortunately, um, you know, we have to compare it because now we see that he's using this, even the same format from the first season. Think about your fourth episode of the first season. We both agree. Probably one of the best episodes ever created on television. The long shot, the children of men shot, as I call it, and the action, the way it's done, the acting, fantastic. And then guess what? Episode five, we go into a time jump. You know, we go this. Guess what we did this time? We had an amazing action scene, fourth episode, fifth episode, we go into a time jump, you know, and then this is when we start to really unravel the case and meet the real bad guy. We're following a lot of the same stuff over again, just in a different setting with more characters. Um, And so it does make me worry, but it's not deterring me from saying I love the show. I'm super excited about next week and I'm off my soapbox now. (laughs) Okay, that was a lot to to take in, I guess. But I don't know. I mean, some of the things I, I, I'm just over, I guess. Like, I agree with you on Vince Vaughn's dialogue. And I put a lot of that on the writing. Because for some reason, he's the only character that they write that way. Um, he's the only one that talks like he's in beat poetry. Or, like, I don't know, an open mic or something. You know, I agree. He, he has the longest dialogues and monologues of any character in the show. Right, and I think they do that on purpose, but, and I'll be honest with you, the like you talk about with the um, uh, him and Jordan having chemistry and stuff, I think he requires the better actors or actresses on the show to, com- you know, converse with to get the best out of him as well. You know, when, like you See, would say. I agree with that. When he's with Ray, it seems like it's more a believable scene. Right, right. Even though there's a lot of awkward pauses and things like that and a lot of staring and stuff like that, but I still feel like it's more realistic, more enjoyable. Um, unfortunately, you get it only with the drab singer in the background all the time. Oh, my God. How many uh, times are we going to see this place where she's singing to three people? I yeah. mean, I hope 
this chick is the uh, the raven headed murderer because <laughs> she's got a lot of screen time. So yeah. um, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love the bar. I love it like that. But they're kind of beating it to death. And you know, and I've been, I, I don't know how many times I've seen feedbacks and people online talking about this must be the only bar in California lets you smoke openly in it and stuff. And of course. We're not no, we're not in California. We just got Mississippi boys where you can smoke anywhere. But um, it's uh, it's definitely like interesting. And when we do this rundown, there's a lot of good stuff. But some of the feedback and the new theories we got going on and how this is going to roll, I'm pretty pumped about tonight. And I'm thinking we get right into this rundown. Yeah, let's do it. Um, show started off um, first. I'm going to say this. Did you notice when they did the previously on True Detectives? You know, they went way back to, like, first and second episode. And they showed, you know, Ray as a young cop, getting the information about the rapist and different things like that. And, you know, I'm not tooting a horn like that. I looked at my wife and I said, this is finally going to come around. We're going to find out whether or not he killed this guy real or if this guy's death is in the plot line coming forward. And she kind of looked at me and was like, well, Maybe this guy wasn't it. And she kind of hit the nail on the head before we even got the show started. And so I thought that was kind of neat how they've kind of changed the previously. I'm focusing more on that now. Yeah, and we've talked about it before about Frank possibly setting him up to do some dirty work for him. Right. And to get his hands dirty That's where right. he's kind of We mentioned before, thumb. like killing two birds with one stone. You right. Know, you, you get a dirty cop, you got rid of a problem. You right. Know? And so I'm... I'm Basically, the prediction was correct, and so it, it was good to see that. And wow, what a way to reveal that, you know. So oh, we'll get to that in a minute. But like you said, the show opens up with the aftermath. You see the paramedics, first responders come in there, and you see a few bodies, and it's kind of a slow-mo and smoky, and it kind of wraps around where you see one cop laying there, and he's toast. Uh, and then it just flashes to Frank sitting in the living room of his uh, his house, and there's boxes everywhere where they've packed up stuff and he's listening to the news and the news is talking about you know it's a press conference where they're basically announcing that casper's you know death and how uh, dirty he was and the corruption of Vinci and so on and he the guy who's announcing it was a DA uh, for the state I think and he was the attorney general attorney general and he used this uh, closing this case basically is his his set his candidacy for governor. Right, it's just a campaign tool. Basically. Yeah, and um, and Frank's just listened to it, and you know you, you can just tell he's squirming a little bit. And then of course, like you said, you see a setting. He goes in there, he's looking at Jordan. Jordan doesn't want to look at him. I mean, I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, they're done. You know, maybe they're divorced. You know, it's just so fast. I just couldn't believe it. Not realizing we have a time jump yet. Right. You know. Um, and, of course, they said that 60-something days, but it still didn't dawn on me yet. But then um, it goes to Ray, and you see him, like, old clean shave, the Tom Selleck no longer. Yeah, the caterpillar has vanished. And, yes. Uh, and um, he's at his house, and the lieutenant's there, and they're going through some things. And he lets him know, you, know, you didn't have to quit on this. And then I love this line. You know, he had several good ones again. You know, um, he goes, it's better to walk away before they make you run. You know, and I, I think that's, you know, a clever little line, you know, but if he was didn't do nothing wrong, I don't understand that. I mean, did you agree with this decision? 
I think he felt like he got out before the state investigation got any closer to him. Right. I think the shootout was enough to, you know, I feel like he, I think he thinks the, you know, the clamps would have come down on him and Annie and them because of the shooting, because so many civilians were killed, police were killed, that it's like, let's get out of here before we're the scapegoats on this. Gotcha. Um, then the lieutenant just kind of out of left field's like, oh, so uh, you know what Dixon was into and you know, all this kind of stuff? Are you are you like that? And he's like, no. Why are you asking? Well, he was in some stuff and picture taken and this and that like that. Um, this was very curious to me, and this goes back to my theory: that the lieutenant is the Raven Mask. Okay, and this just helps support it for me. You know, uh, why is he worried about this guy? And picture taken. Why is he? Why is he still combing Ray for potential information? Why is all that stuff going on? If this case is closed and it's all behind us, why is he still in all that? Um, it just kind of helped to me. It helped support my theory that uh, he's he's the Raven shooter. Possibly, um, I'm beginning to think a little bit that the. That Dixon's going to have a bigger role in this. Well, I know later in the episode we learned that Dixon was doing a lot more and was more involved than we ever thought, and but it's just more towards the corruption of Vinci, you know, and Jasani. Right, but we also learned later on the episode that it's the mayor's son that's planning these parties and stuff like that, and all in the purpose to get dirt on. Oh yeah, high level people. people. Yeah, right. So, is Dixon working for the police department, like the Vinci, and he's you know just keeping tabs on everybody, or is this guy actually under maybe the mayor's son, and he's taking pictures of everybody, getting the dirt on them? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because if he's looking at the diamonds, the diamonds clearly came from these parties. And the mayor is supposedly not involved in those parties. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I'll so, tell you what. We'll, we'll dive more into that theory when we get to the usual suspects. Okay. Let's keep rolling to the rundown. Um, lieutenant lets him know, hey, you're not a municipal uh, employee anymore. Um, basically, pack your crap. You got 60 days. You know, you evicted me? What? You know? Yeah. Um, which is kind of unfound. Strange conversation about the charger, too. He got another charger. I guess after he lost his cop car, he got another one. That's true. I didn't, yeah, I didn't think it about that. It was just a weird conversation. That, Random. Like, maybe that's going to come back in some kind of way, but like maybe he put a tracker on his car or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just yeah. a weird conversation. Because he looked out the window and he goes, ah, you got a charger again, huh? And, you know, he's like, well, you know, you learned a great car in the cruiser, blah, 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 you know, so he got another one. That just seemed like a really strange, like, shoved in there conversation. Yeah. Why was that detail added? Yeah, so I think something's going to come of that. Well, I like that. Good, good observation. Um, then we get Ray, and he's at the uh, little apartment complex with uh, you know all the Hispanics everywhere, and he's beating on doors, and some guns doing collections. You know, you're yeah, two hundred short. You know, yeah. you know, you can buy beer, and you know, then you're going to make this happen. But he's still got a heart. You know, he's still got a conscience. You know, he gives the money back to him and says, you know, get it to me tomorrow. You know, I don't want to have to do something I don't want to do. You know. Yeah. So basically. A- Hired muscle now and collections thug. Yeah. Then it goes to Annie and we're in <laughs> sensitivity training. Sensitivity training. Yes. Uh, sexual yes. harassment. 
and, and rightfully so, these guys are like, what in the Sam hell is this girl doing in here? And uh, <laughs> I love this. <laughs> Which I one love of us does want to be harassed by her? <laughs> yeah, really. I, I like this. She was, talking, she was like, well, you know, guys, I just love huge, you know. And she's like, you know, it's not about the length. It's it's more about the girth. And it's not just the length. Yeah. <laughs> and I Everybody was, talks about length. And it's the and girth. And like, well, this is not. She goes, Let her you share. said share. Let her this share. This is a safe room, right? <laughs> you know, and even the even the counselors is like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you continue. You, you know, she, he's even stumbling and bumbling. Yes, every other cop there goes like, shut up. Let her share. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, then we got Paul, and he's in this little proceeding, you know, some lawyers everywhere, and it's that bimbo actress, and uh, I like this part. Okay, he's, I was going to say the same thing. I love this scene. I like Paul's attitude in oh, this. Oh, yeah, he just looking at her, staring at her like, you're a fucking liar. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, oh my, like, and she just kind of looks at him like, you know, hey, you want to quit this name call? I'm going to put a civil suit on you, civil suit. I, I was like, Paul, go ahead and say it. I got nothing. Your what are you going to come after? <laughs> yeah, really. My bike was stolen. You can't even take that from yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> really. I'm like, come on, man. Really? And um, and so th- I thought that was a cool scene. Um, and, you know, they really doesn't come to a really con- conclusion. They want a deal. He wants this. He wants me back in the field. They want to make sure he's not back in the field. But strange, though. <laughs> they, kept, they, br- they brought up the shootout, and they brought up his war record with Black Mountain. Yeah, they like were that should about, have nothing to do with this case, but they brought it up and like shoehorned it into the conversation. Oh yeah, it was straight bootstrapping. There's no doubt. They're just they're bringing up all his negatives to make it seem like they have some authority over. Or uh, and he was cool as a Lee, cucumber. That's why I loved it. It was awesome. He almost looks like he is. He's not drunk looking. He looks like he's almost. I don't know, it's not hyper focused either. It's like he's spaced. Incensed. I just it's incensed is what I call it. Um, then we get to Frank, and he's at the club, and two, what I'm guessing are members of the Mexican cartel show up. And you, you find out, though, that he has been changed to insurance fraud oh, and yeah, wears a is. suit for a living now. Yeah, poor uh, bastard. And he looks super uncomfortable. Yeah. But, yeah, okay, so Frank at, Frank's at the club. At the two club. of these Mexican cartel guys come up. Uh, you know, we had an arrangement, and we like that, and he goes, hadn't seen him yeah, I haven't seen him in a long time, you know. Well, don't know nothing about that, man. You know, Doors are the same place. Padre. I know it. Now, that was a good line. I'll give him that. And then the guy leaves, and then there's this cat in this black suit, black hat, and he's blacked out Ray-Bans in a dark club. What is the deal with people wearing these glasses in dark club? Well, no, this is almost a tropey cartel look. Yes. With the black cowboy hat and the black... Jacket and the black shades. Murdered out. Right. And he calls him the Cisco kid. I mean, where does this come from? Either way, this scene alone made me immediately jump on a theory that Frank or his wife are going to end up killed by the Mexican cartel. Dude, dude, the scene where they're beating on the door at the end. Oh, yeah, get your heart I was like... Someone shoot pumping. through the door. Yeah, I was like, "Oh yeah, we're finna have a mow down right here." But good job by Pizzolatto or the director or like that to throw that in there with the knocking to make you think that this, oh shit, this could be a problem. But I really think that what's going to happen is is Frank's going to finally get over. Like maybe Frank's going to hit the top. 
You know, it'd be like he's in the clear. He's finally going to achieve something and, and then, then shot to pieces. And then the cartel's going to come. Maybe not kill Frank. Maybe kill his wife. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Take away the one thing that's kept him away from that world. Yeah. Or pulled him out. But since yeah. he's gotten back in, he's burying himself deeper and deeper yeah. again. Like he said, I'm, knee, I'm up to my knees in dirt here. Yeah. Um. You know, Frank walks into the mayor's office, and the first, you know, the mayor's just sitting there <laughs> snoring like a, you know, you've never seen out of sight. Thumps him on the head, which I was really surprised. You know, the last time he was in this office, he, he was kind of the reverse of intimidation. And, uh, you know, they have their little dialogue, like, what the heck ever. And then Frank's kind of throwing out some information, like, you know, um, he confirms a few things. This is the first breadcrumb that comes into play where he's like, you know, I went out there and we dumped that metal everywhere to contaminate that land and all this kind of stuff. And I kind of noticed that the waste management company that, you know, was all part of this has gone under. And the guy who owned it just happened to have an accident where he goes off the cliff in his car, you know, he said, I've never even seen him finish a beer before. Yeah. So this guy was clearly not a drinker and, you know, was executed. Yeah. He had a convenient accident. Right. And they're just basically loose, you know, I mean, covering all their loose ends and, the mayor's like, you know, just get out. Yeah, you know, I got nothing for you. You know, this, adds an extra five hundred to his collections weekly. Yeah, you know, because he didn't have an appointment. Yeah, you know, <laughs> your penance. He says yeah. next time I have an appointment, your penance is five hundred extra a week or five extra a week. So he says, but yeah, uh, but this is like this kind of leads into my theory. Like I was saying, where the big dogs are removing the little players. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm with you. Everybody that thinks. They're getting in on the ground floor, and it's going to be a part of that, you know, lifelong money is being swept under the rug. You know yeah, what I mean? you know, no doubt. Um, he asks, key thing, who is the foreign interests? And he tells him, well, you know, the, the Russians were interested or the... No, uh, no he, he said, he said, who the interest? And he said, some Foreigners. foreign interest. Yeah. And we just kind of pretty much, you know think it's Russians first thing I'm here because that's the only Russian interest we've seen coming to Dodge. Okay, but the thing of it is is they've also they've also shown us the um Armenians. Um No we were saying Armenians, but those could have been Russians too. Or they could be Turkish or whatever they are. No, they're not Russians. They're not the Russians. Okay. Because he says, you see I'm not going to the Russians or the Mexicans. That's true. You do I remember that. Um but they also show the Mexican cartel in this episode. So it's like who are the interests? You True. know what I mean? I think they're showing a couple different foreign groups so you don't can't just pin down, oh, it's the Russians. I will tell you, this episode made me convinced that Pizzolazzo puts a lot of different angles out there to make you think a hundred different directions and try to connect all the dots, but they're just not. I think it's a bunch of deflection to make you think a bunch of different ways to not see. It's just misdirection. And... I think this is a big part of it. Right, but you, but is the thing is, is he, is he misdirecting for a complicated plot or a super simple plot? I think he's just complicating a super simple plot. Okay. Um, and then he goes to the door and there's this Asian guy and, he, and he's like, don't direct me. And he, and he says something to him and he goes, well, I'm, I'm Chinese. And he goes, well, then go stand in front of a tank. And as he walks away, wasn't a fan of this. I mean, it just... It just it make it makes Frank look like a, just a true racist, you know, 
And I mean, how many times have we heard Beaner stand in front of a tank? I mean, we just got all. I mean, disrespecting the guy who does the, the, the avocado, avocado trees. Tree, yeah. I mean, uh, Frank's not making himself real likable, you know. No, and like I said, I think he just keeps digging himself deeper into a hole. Yeah, he just. I don't, I, don't, I wasn't a fan of that part. I don't understand. Odd that. though, this this Asian assistant. Out of nowhere, where was where was his, uh, the mayor's mouthpiece from the previous episodes? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, like remember that guy was like basically answering all the questions for the mayor. It wasn't the same guy, was it? No, it wasn't. And you know, I thought when you know when right, I'm mean, not right. Frank walked in and he goes, "What's up with this place?" He's, you know, there's no like nobody's here, and I cannot remember what the mayor said, but he he made like a, he alluded that. Things were different now, and things have changed, and like people have got away since this, the Vinci corruption has gone national or state, you know. Or maybe, like you said, those those people are moving into their new positions, right? You know, for the transition into the new railway money. <clears throat> yeah, um, we got Ray at court, you know, looking good, and he's staring down his wife, and this judge is giving him no love. Um, he ends up telling them he's going to have supervised visits. They're going for the paternity test, and Ray gets all pissed, and he's like, you know, you're betraying me. You lied to me. And the wife walks out with this evil look, and even he says it. He's like, she's never looked at me this way. There's something that's not right. And then this scumbag lawyer, he's like, oh, you want to fight this? Bring some more money to the table. You know, and it was just – he just got wrecked, you know. I mean, for 60 days of being clean and sober and doing the right and all this stuff, he, he she did nothing for him. Yeah, it sounds about that way lawyers are played in TV <laughs> and movies. Yeah. Um, and then we got Frank and Ray, and he's talking about, hey, I need more money. And Frank's like, well, hey, man, um, the war chest is rationing right now. The funds are, you know, are skimpy. <laughs> You need money, I need money. You're asking the guy who needs money for money. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> he's like, well, you know, I, I'll do a double shift. I'll do this. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and act on this feeling I got on the back of my neck. And I need you to follow Blake. Um, you know, and then he kind of hits him with a cool question. He's like, realistically, do you as a cop think the Mexicans actually killed Casper? And I was surprised by his answer. I thought for sure he'd look at him and go, nah. You know, or tell him, I don't think so at all. But he was just like, I don't know. You know, it's, they had his stuff, you know. I mean, it was just a real yeah, but, generic answer. But he even said, he said the surveillance was shit. You know, he it was like he was about to say what he thought about it and then cut himself off, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't get that. I thought, I don't know, maybe he also thought that by telling him, him what he really thought, it, you know, it might mean he had to get more wrapped into it or something. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Um, then we got Paul and his mother uh, at the trailer park. Um, this is the first scene I really wasn't a fan of Taylor Kitsch. Um, a lot of his reactions and things here just kind of seemed a little over the top. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd be mad and really upset about some things, but some of the things that it, it escalated to a certain point – Really, really fast, and then we didn't. We found the money missing, and then it just went bananas. And then I don't know. There was just a lot of dialogue that didn't make a lot of sense. You know, like you know, you ruined my life. I would have owned the world if I was a white dude. And um, she said, if I was a male or a male, you know, um, you could. So own. apparently, she was a dancer. 
Yeah. And, and she you, was good. I carried you for nine months. I carried you my whole life. And, and then she got pregnant and kept him, and it ruined her career dancing, I guess. Hmm. Now, we don't know what kind of dancer she was. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It just it didn't. I think it, there were some parts of our eye, and I liked the background, and I liked that it told us that basically I think Taylor Kitsch was a bad guy. You know, when he was in the service, that you know he had his little twenty thousand dollar cut or whatever bad they did. You know, no, I mean you gotta think he worked for Black Mountain. They're mercenaries. They got they get cash, straight cash, homie. Yeah, you know when I was reading feedback and I was talking about everybody, everybody kind of got the same perception I did that it made me feel like you know when you hear all those Iraqi war crimes and different things where. They bust into stuff and they might get drug money or this, that, or so on. And these guys just divvied it up and found it a way to get it back to the states. You know, that's the impression I got. That, like he was dirty. I mean, it could be something like that. You know, because even at the beginning, when he's with the actress and his their lawyers, they he's directly asking, you know, what happened at so and so village. Yeah. And he's saying, I wasn't at the village. And yeah, but we've already heard. There. His, you know, his gay his buddy that like, you know, this it was the best is... time was at the village. Yeah. I don't know if that was, means it was at a different village, you know, and they were out living it up while their buddies were slaughtering But based on the show, you make your innuendo. You know, you, you put those two dots together, you know. Yeah, possibly. I'm just saying uh, his past is still super murky. Yeah. Okay. How about keeping 20 grand in a, a military bag hidden in a trailer with your mom for four years? I'm going to call it Bonehead. Yeah, it was stupid. This is really stupid. Especially when you have a cranked out mom like that. Give me a break. Who has a gambling problem. Yeah. And a drinking problem. I just... <laughs> you never planned on keeping it doing that. Why hide it there? If it was legitimate money, why is it not in the safe deposit box? I I don't know. You know it's, probably, it's probably not legitimate money. Yeah. See, that's... Yeah. Mm. Um, it's a paper trail, you know, if you yeah. had it in the bank. Then we get Annie suddenly talking to the foreclosure, uh, foreclosure, um, mother, you know, and there, you can tell her they're in like a hotel motel or something. The man's gone. And the guy's not there. Yep. Um, and she's talking about, well, I got a notice that we overdue pay for a PO box. This was in it. And it showed a bunch of pictures of highfalutin people with girls and then suddenly a few pictures of the blue diamond um and i thought this was pretty interesting because i did some homework on it um on these blue diamonds like we talked about a couple weeks ago i finally found a few minutes to kind of look at it and these diamonds are basically exactly what the show said it is a diamond contaminated by you know boron um and they are technically not really valuable. It's kind of a defect, but like even the but shows, but the ones they have are, are super rare, right? Because it has such amazing clarity in right. the way it was cut, it makes them more valuable because of the yeah. situation. Um, very unique. Um, there was a theory on Reddit and several people that, that, that there's the diamond theory that realistically they went out there and these mines that supposedly poisoned all this area, they started finding um, boron diamonds. And these were some examples of, and that uh, that ended up being more lucrative and bringing in outside interest because diamond mines are not typical of California. Not at all. And so, uh, and boron contam contaminant is a surface level 
um, contaminant to diamonds. So it would, if it would, it would be a surface mining that would find this. And so it's very plausible that all this land they've bought up or different things that have happened, that maybe they can find more different things. And so maybe that leads to a new outside interest or a new player. And Casper had these diamonds and they were being searched for before that. Um, so there was, there's some big theories about the blue diamonds that is, that's the big, a twist that everybody thinks is railways the money, but realistically, when they did all this, finding the blue diamonds was, was like icing on the cake. But people were going to fight for that more because it was immediate money. You know, it was the cash value. Um, I don't know; it, it's kind of thin for me. Um, but I think it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Here's the thing, though: if if the land that Casper was going to buy had the diamonds on it then he should have jumped immediately to buying the land. He never gave the money to Catalyst. So they don't even own the land. Right. Well, I have a, I have a theory about that, and, and or what I think might be an explanation, and it's supported by a few things, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Okay. Um, then it shows Annie in her new job, uh, the evidence locker, and she's got her magnifying glass, and she's finding pictures, and she catches one picture of Casper, and then she finds a picture of a girl surrounding a state senator. Um, and it showed his name, but I didn't catch it. It was something simple. I'm, I'm not sure it's going to even be important. I don't think so either. I think it was just to represent these parties had powerful people in it. Right. Um, and she's going through it, and then her partner pops up, and kind of talks to him a little bit and he's trying to tell her, Hey, you know, I didn't sell you down the river. They already knew. And you know, the whole nine yards and she wasn't, she wasn't soaking it up very well. Um, but then when she needed some information, he came through, you know, he's like, can you give me that number, that location of where the phone calls were and that kind of stuff. And he came through in the pinch. Um, then we goes back to Ray <laughs> and he's in the car and he's talking to the recorder. Okay. Now, I checked some feedback this morning online and there's a lot of people saying that the way he talked to the recorder had kind of a beat to it that kind of symbolized the intro song. Did you get anything from that? I didn't catch that at all. No. So so I swear there are some really intuitive people out there who watch this show and trying to find every little detail. I didn't see no um, rhythm and blues or anything when he was talking to the recorder. You know, we try to get this podcast out the day after the show, so I just do not have that kind of time on my hands. <laughs> no. No. Anyway, um, this is where he has that my favorite line. He says, um, pain is inexhaustible. Only people get exhausted and stuff like that. And that's, that's poetry, man. That's just straight poetry. <laughs> <laughs> that's deep, bro. That's deep. deep. So deep. <laughs> Deep as a puddle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, he's you know he's following Blake. This this is the whole deal. And he parks and gets behind these big boulders. And how about this lighting? This moonlight hitting him. It's kind of crazy. And like we kind of mentioned before, you, you see Blake, and he ends up getting up with. Um, there's Piddler there, and then we have Little Jasani's there, and uh, Piddler wasn't there. Yeah, Piddler was there, and he was one helping choose the women. And there was three guys. Um, there was three girls and three guys. Blake shows up, but he's the transportation. Um, little Jasani's there to help to facilitate the girls to the party, and Piddler's the one delivering the goods. 
they, you know, and so it was, uh, it was interesting. Are you sure you saw Pitler? Because I didn't see Pitler. I saw Pitler. That but dark hair, see, you know. I did see little Chasani go up and like grab boobs, look at facial features, right? And, like to approve of the surgery. I know this had. was. I know this was Pitler because Ray immediately knows Pitler's neck deep in this because of this. And that's the reason he goes down there later and beats the crap out of him. Yeah, I thought he went because of the photograph, but I could, I could have totally just missed it. Yeah. Um, so Blake and little Jasani take the girls to this club on the other side of town, and guess who walks out? Uh-huh. Osip. Yep. You know? Um, I've never been thinking Osen was going to be a player, but you were right on the money. You know, the guy walks out and I was like, mm, here's, I'm instantly going outside interest. He's pulling the strings behind the scene with Blake. You know, we don't need Frank. I can use Blake as my stoolie. I mean, just my mind was just going crazy. And then that's like with the mayor. He's like, there's some outside interest. There's a lot, you know, by him showing back up. It's another big breadcrumb to me. Right. I look at it like Ossip thinks it's Blake is a easy man to manipulate right. because he's so power hungry and so, you know, eager to move up, but he knows he can't do that with Frank. Right. So he's trying to push Frank aside and use Blake as his stool pigeon. I think pigeon. Frank killed the deal with his eagerness and desperateness. And like even when those episodes we're talking about, don't look desperate, don't look too eager, don't look that. And he immediately does that. I think Osa looks at him and goes, "This is not who you need to be in business with." You know, there's got to be another way. You know, time tell. And this is his option. Or he already had options through Chisani's son, and it was just all, you know, hot air that he was even talking to Frank about signing on the dotted yeah, just line. The masquerade. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Um, goes back to Frank of the club and you see these pictures of guys, you know, these images of guys dealing drugs and passing and stuff like that. And then you see his wife just kind of run through there fast again, give him the stink eye. He goes in the back and they have this dialogue where she's like, these books, they're awful. I don't know what they were doing. There's no way to tell if they were making a profit, whatever. And he's like, yeah, I don't know. We can, just, we can wipe that off. We can just start over. Da, 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 da. And then they go into this long dialogue about going back to adoption. And I think the reason you have this is because you think of this kid as you. And and he says he opens his eyes and, you know, and appreciate it. And then she's like, I'm going home. You need to make some time to come home with me. And then he pours a drink and then doesn't drink it. Did you notice that? Yeah. Because this is where they talk about, he's like, you can love me and be with me or love me and not be with me. And I'll totally understand. Because I am deep. I'm back in it, you know. And I'll totally understand if you can't follow me into this. But she's willing, you know, to follow him wherever as long as it leads out of this hole. Yeah, and this is where they had some of those terrible lines. You know, he's like, he talks about how he's complaining about that gangster stuff. Oh, you know, I don't like that word. And like I said, this was just another example that their chemistry lacked to me. I, I, I think um, the Jordan girl is is not a bad actress. I think she does good for what she's intended for this show because she doesn't have these crazy lines and monologues and everything else. You know, don't get me wrong. These left field stuff of I actually had three operations. Are we supposed to? Are we supposed to assume that that's three abortions or three? 
just operations? Uh, or are we talking about what, what? What's what are we supposed to get out of that? Well, knowing some people that have had problems getting pregnant, you know, operations can also mean like. I mean, some she could have cysts on her ovaries. She right. could have. They have to get them scraped off and right. things like yeah, that. There's all kinds of stuff. I mean. I don't know. I think it was a big bombshell that she tell you know she goes from one surgery to three and never tells him you know. But that's what she talked about. She said he even says she with one now it's three all of a sudden. She's like, well, if we're being honest, you know, if this is where we're gonna go from here, you right? Know? So I, I actually like that. I think she's great. I uh, think she did a fine job. I just think the I'm more what you're saying. I think the writing they're giving Vince Vaughn doesn't help him, and I think people having the the preconception that he's just a com- comedy guy. He set up for failure from the start. Yeah, I don't think they did him any favors, honestly. No. Um, then we go back to Paul, and he's having dinner at the house. My man has to throw two bottles of whiskey in his tea to make it through dinner. I mean, is my man struggling with his decision right now? I don't think he's struggling with the decision. I think he's struggling with the fact he's not on his bike. He's not in the field because he talks about it. When they all three to get together, he's like, I have to be out here because I, I don't think he can not be in the mix. Yeah. Like he's got to be. He's in a gun tool that's and- <laughs> only useful if it's being used, you know? And so, right. Like he, he's well honed. He, he doesn't fit in the domestic world. You're right. Um, of course, mom's like, you know, I should stay here. I'll just stay on the couch. He goes, well, let's be a little cramped, you know, tight. Oh, no. Uh, I slept, you know, I mean, how many days on the boat, on the ground, on my With, knees, and all this stuff. I was like, he goes, oh, what's he going to do, turn me in? You, you know? arrest he's me? Not, uh, yeah. yeah. He's not immigration. And I was like, man. Um, <laughs> I just, mm. Then he goes back to Annie and Ray at the bar, um, and they start talking about these blue diamonds, and they start talking about how the whole case was shaky. Do you really think it cleared? Um, and then Annie was even talking about how her hands are shaky, like she's got some PSTD or whatever you call it. Not no, she's saying she drinks too much now. She's saying she's been drinking too much and it's affecting her. She's getting the shakes. Huh. And you I see it I didn't when, catch that. when she's in the evidence locker and she's trying to look at the photos. Yeah, her hand's her hand shaking kind of real bad. a little bit. I, yeah. just, I assumed that had to do that she was still dealing with the aftermath of the shootout. No, because he asked her, how are you getting through? And she said, drinking a lot. He's like, Did you notice the girl was singing the preview theme song that we use as our intro? Yeah, yeah. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, it's um, cool. Um, just still kind of sorrowful. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a cool song. But I like I these two together. I love their yeah, it's a good dynamic. She throws out the information, you know, this happens, nobody cares. This happened, nobody cares. This happened, nobody cares. You know, what are we supposed to do about that? You know, the girl's missing, nobody cares. And and he's just kind of like, I, I can't help it, you know. And she's, you know, I'm, just, I'm not a cop, you know. As far as I can tell, and neither are you, you know. And, and she's like, well, well, you know, Dixon and this. And he goes, well, I can't help it if he was a wet brain alcoholic. And I was, <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's another cool line. Yeah. Um, well, that's a, real, that's a legitimate medical term, wet brain. How about that? Um, and another one of my favorite lines is that, you know, I limit the people I associate with this so it's less I disappoint, you know. Um, I have a really good friend I play college football with, and he you know, he tells me that all the time. He looks at me and goes, keep your expectations low. That way you never disappoint, you know. And I was like, ah, great line, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a ugh, <laughs> depressing outlook. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Um, Frank's back at home with Jordan, and they're kind of happy, hunky dory. He went and made some time, and he's like, I don't care what we watch, as long as I got you. And so, all 17 year olds <laughs> hugging yeah. and smooching, kind of. It was the Netflix on the couch night, right? Yeah. Um, it was a little. Mm. Uh, then we go back to the band getting back together. Uh, Ray, Paul, and Annie, and the state investigator. Um, and she's like, well, you know, nobody believes this is real. You know, this this is not cleared. We're going to do a confidential investigation. Really? Okay. I mean, really? I don't understand how all this stuff works. But she, you know, she was, you know... Internal affairs, basically, you know, state investigator. Well, her original mission was to bring down Vinci. Well, then the attorney general basically says he's claimed that victory and using it for his governor, you know, ship. She now is like, I want to know who really killed Casper because it's just too dang convenient that the governor's got this cleared and making him look like the savior to become... I'm sorry, the Attorney General, you know, making this look so good to become the governor. And so now she thinks even he's dirty. And so she that's why she wants to get back in this. Yeah, and the fact that it basically just took a big dump on what she was trying to do. Right. Ever since the Casper case was closed and everything was swept under the rug, so did the state investigation. Because they obviously had the Attorney General in the mix, too, you know. Yeah. Um Ray's like, not interested. I got a job. I want no part in this. And she kind of hits him at the belt with like, uh, so how's the situation with your kid, you know? And basically, you know, makes that corrupt deal that she's trying to expose of, you know, I'll make sure you keep your kid and, you know, you you make this work out. And he's like, and so he's receptive. And so they decide to make a little plan there. You know, he's like, um, one's they're going to look for the camera. One's going to go check out the land stuff, and the other one's going to look into the diamonds. Um, and then that you know, Annie and Paul leave, and then the state investigator hits him with the bombshell, and my draw hits the floor. And she's like, "Well, congratulations! They caught the guy who raped your wife." And his reaction is money. This was the best acting job of the entire series was this moment right here when he learns that the guy he killed was not the rapist. He learns that Frank screwed him, screwed his life, because you'll find that later. And the guy who did it is incarcerated now and is going, you know, going to be standing trial. I mean, I like how wow. they played it. I like how they played it, too, because she kind of apologized because she always thought, thought he was crooked. Yeah, always thought that he killed or some way damaged this guy that assaulted his wife. And he said, what made you change your mind, you know? And when she drops that bombshell on him and stuff, and she's like, I thought you knew, and blah, blah, blah. And uh, it was huge, man. And you could tell because he was... You could tell in his eyes he did kill somebody. Oh, yeah. He was like, but wait a minute. You were right, but now you're... What? I'm confused. You know, it right. Was, so he's off the hook with her, but he knows he's not off the hook with his wife now. You know, it's right. like. And my my wife, I will give her credit, looks at me and goes, that's why she was pissed at him. Yeah. As her immediate, and I was like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. She knows because she would be one informed, and he doesn't know. And so later on, they explain that a little better. But, I mean, it was just phenomenal acting like you said what a great setup to learn that 
and I think a good timing too. Annie and Paul were walked away, and it was just that one on one. And plus, it just it was it was so well done that your heart immediately starts thumping, and your brain immediately starts going like, "Oh shit, I know where this is going. I know where this is going." You know, it's like they just teed this up, you know, and they let you just you know, unleash on it. Oh, you happy Gilmore it right? Yeah, there. you just There's no doubt. It's so exciting because it's like. Holy shit! That's a huge, huge point that he's going to be able to roll with, and so you know where Ray's story is going at least in the near future. Like he's going to need some answers, and now you know. Yeah. Um, and we've all fr- seen how he gets his answers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like that. Frank rolls up into the Catalyst guy's office, and he's looking around, and basically tell he wants to kind of muscle his way into this deal by like, hey. I know how that land got messed up because I did it. <laughs> and um, that'd be kind of interesting. And he's like, nah, I got plenty of cover to take care of you. That. You're reaching. And, uh, but then he hits him with, uh, well, Casper did have a hard driving camera. And, um, you know, self-interest here are playing a part where you would come to find that we can make something happen. And then... In my mind, I'm like, Frank doesn't have a crew. Frank doesn't have much of anything right now. It all looks grim. How would he even find this camera? I, I, don't, I don't get this part. Why even agree to that? I, I would still go down the other angle thinking it would have more concrete because he was involved in the other part of it. I, I, did you? I, what's your no, thought? I don't think this is too crazy because what I look at this is, obviously the hard drive in the video has... Some Very of the high incriminating, right? That are involved in the railroad deal are incriminated in these videos. Okay, it's not like they have just some big number of thugs that they can use to go knock on doors and find stuff. So I think they look at the number one thug they got, which is Frank, and they know he's desperate. So if they're willing to give up five parcels to protect all their asses from whatever's on these videos. That makes total sense to me. Yeah, I just don't think he is some. I mean. They couldn't even. They couldn't find uh, the, the Mexican drug dealers before the shootout. I mean, and he had a guys out there to go find him, and he is an underworld guy, and this is other than an underworld guy. So, his investigatory skills are lacking, in my opinion. Yeah, but I still think you would go to a guy like that who's desperate to well, get. Well, it doesn't in. hurt Catalyst to have somebody out there searching for it. Exactly. There's no. Yeah. It's not like they're going to the cops. True that. True yeah. that. Uh, so yeah, you know, they make a little deal, five parcels, and Frank's all happy, giddy, giddy. Cause he might have a chance to get back to where he wanted. Then we get to the meat and potatoes. Ray visits Piddler, and I don't think much of this because as soon as you walk in, you see Piddler reading a book with his glass, his sunshades on in a dark room. I just don't get this. This yep. is the second time this episode where it's a low light room and Homeboy's got some blacked out shades and he's reading a book. Yeah, and he also calls him a pin-eyed fuck or something like that. Um, what the? Who knows? You know, it could have something to do with the surgeries and stuff affecting his vision and blah, True. blah, blah. But, you know, it didn't dawn on me until like a few seconds in that I'm looking. Ray's got his gloves on. And then he's got oh, yeah. that. He's got that. Uh, that blackjack. The blackjack. And I was like, oh, yeah. And, and that was uh, awesome when he hits the table and dude. just thumps a hole in it. I yeah. was like, yeah. And then how stupid. Is Pillar to look at him and say, well, "All this is just compensating for"? Oh, he's, he's analyzing like yeah, a therapist. You know, like 
you know, you're just showing me all this to, you know, try to prove to me that you mean business, but I know the truth. I can analyze you. Smoke. Pop. Backhand. Slap. Punch. I mean, wow. And I just proceeds to beat the crap out of him. I want to know. I want to know. He's like, I don't know. And then he just starts taking some real licks. And I freaking loved it. The guy is giving up the information, and you see him pulling teeth out of his mouth. Several teeth. I was very impressed. Very, you know, the realism, the way it was looking, his fear was real. Kudos to Rick Springfield, the actor playing Piddler. I mean, I was, from start to finish, this was authentic to me. It felt good. It was, felt good. I mean, I'm not. No, it feels good. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> um, you know, the, the doctor with the, has a nickname, has a name that rhymes with Hitler, but he, the information he gives, he confirms Casper was doing, was part of this with Jasani's son and parties. They were taking pictures to use as a black, um, what do you call it? Blackmail evidence. Um, you know, my conclusion to that was is that, you know, that was what got him parcels of land and, and he was just keeping the money that was given to him and, um, or maybe, you know, another theory, I have, and I'll tell you about that too, about the Blue Diamonds. Uh, you know, the other thing is, is that he tells him, he, Ray kind of looks at him and shows him the picture, he has a connection and goes, you know, what, what about Jasani's wife? And he goes, well, the wife, quote, struggled with the traditions of the Jasani um, patriarch as well as because they were very creative and makes you wonder there's a family legacy of something they're doing and their corruption that she couldn't handle. And that's why she had to go away. Did you get that same kind of, yeah, but I don't know if it's corruption. This is what leads me back to Eli. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it's not, it is Jasani in the photo, but it's his dad that's in the photo as well. I'm with you. I think this has got to do with them providing women to powerful men and them doing whatever the heck they want, including, you know, rape, murder, bondage, you name it. Yeah. So I, that goes more into our theory section later. But, yeah, I'm I'm feeling with your flow on that one. So we'll definitely go with that. Because I, I th I'm thinking there may be something to do with trafficking in, you know, maybe undocumented people and giving them surgeries or whatever need be or just pulling them in as they are and knowing that no one's looking for them and no one cares what happens to them. You're right. You know, and using that. And I could easily see a woman that could find out about that and then not be okay with it after a while, you know. No doubt. Immediately. Um, Annie's walking the beach with her sister... They're happy-go-lucky, and Annie's pumping her for a connection into one of these parties. Uh, she says she'll talk to a few girls, and of course, she gives her the great news. I got into uh, Cal Arts and all that, and they have a little sweet moment. See, I think this all bodes terrible for the sister. Yeah. Because I think any of these people that are attached to our main three are going to get a, a rude awakening. Uh, I'm fearful. I'm fearful because they're showing a lot of brightness and things looking great, and that's just what makes it that much more gut wrenching when you take them away. Yeah, see, I see Athena overstepping just a little bit to help her sister, which reveals her to somebody and gets her in trouble. Yeah, I'm with you. you. Know. 
Um, Paul's visiting a bunch of diamond shops, and then we get our little information. Um, the diamond expert tells him about the boride and the rare and how another cop named Dixon was in here looking for these a, a while back. Kind of gives you a clue that Dixon was more involved, and uh, he was searching for these diamonds prior to Casper's death which gives you a connection to the Vinci police being involved, or at least him, to Casper prior, which is interesting. It's a good little tidbit, another breadcrumb. And then we go to Paul and Annie, um, and they're in their car, and they're heading up north to the address that Elvis gave them. And they're talking about how, you know, Teague, Dixon, you know, sweatsuit was more involved in the timing. And how about these people walking down the road the guy you know dressed as a jesus carrying the cross down the street and different things the weird lady riding the bike and stuff yeah I, but this kind of think about the symbolism here well no i've seen a few not like documentaries but a few shows about how these small towns that were hippie communes and you know free people spots that when they finally collapse it just like breeds like oddities, strange hmm. people. Okay. And I think that's all they're really showing is that how, once again, this is another town where no one would care what happens there. You know? Yeah, it's kind of like a forgotten. I got yeah. you. Good explanation. Um, Ray and the wife um, are out here in this majestic view in this parking lot. It's amazing. It's a great shot. Great credit to the director. Um, and they're, they're having this candid conversation about, you know, realizing that the real rapist has been caught. So were you lying to me? Did you make this up? Did you really do it? And Ray's fumbling. He's got no answers for her. And as she's walking away, he all he can tell her is, is that, you know, Frank set me up. And she's like, I have no idea what that means. And she gets in the car and leaves. And But she does let him know that the day he tells her that he took revenge on the guy who did this to her is the day everything fell apart. And that because it changed him, it changed their marriage, it changed everything. And that's what I'm saying. He has Frank to blame for Yeah, and I I immediately go to my mind going, all this, his entire life has gone to crap because of Frank. Yeah. And so I'm thinking in my mind, the next time we see Ray, next time we see Ray, it's going to be with Frank and it ain't going to be pleasant. Yeah. And so... It was a really cool scene, though, and I really appreciate it. I want to get that pipe out there. Um, and then we got um, Frank and Jordan. Um, they're kind of in the bed, and smoochy, smoochy, and he's like, oh, you know, you really opened my eyes. I'm serious. Let's think about this adoption. Let's work on some few things, that kind of stuff. And, you know, another quick scene of them being all happy-go-lucky. There's cheerful. no water stains on the ceiling. Yeah, he makes it. Brings like it he's trying again. to symbolize that. The eyes are no longer upon him. The pressure's not there. You, you, you know. See, I don't know if he could say that because the pressure's clearly there. Because she even talks about once again. Well, let's just go away. You know, let's let's be gone. It was never about the money for her, and you know. But he um, immediately rebukes that. You know, it's yeah. like no, I got to do this and that, and you know, I'm gonna take care of it. We'll be back out of this, you know. Yeah, we'll get, I'll get us out. I'll yeah. get us out. Um, empty. I'm sorry, empty. Yeah. Andy and Paul are at this the house, the location. Um, they look in the windows. It's got sheets everywhere. It's desolate, and nobody's been there a while. 
Um, and then Annie catches a view of all these birds circling above. And she, what she came, they said there was a certain breed of bird. She mentioned it. No, no, it's just carrion birds. Carrion birds. Carrion birds is just any kind of buzzard or okay, any scavenger bird. Okay, I I couldn't make out what she said, so that that helps me out. Uh, so of course they're walking through there, and she's like, "Hey, do you smell that?" And so they make their way up to this um, the shack, you know, and the birds are sitting there. And I'm like, "Okay, now we're getting, now we have a crime scene. I, yeah. I already know what this is going to show us before they even open the door." And they bust open the door, and we got a chair, and it's got the duct tape torn. There's blood in the seat. There's arterial spray, as they explain. Is this the crime scene of Casper? Your opinion? No. I'm with you. I don't think so at all. I think the house they were in where, you know, when Ray got shot is where Casper died. Would you agree? Yes. And here's the thing, too, is what other bodies have we seen with this much damage to them? Right. Zero. Well, here's another thing, too. When they show the scene of them putting Casper into the car and driving away, it was in, like, a metro area. This seems like way up in the hills in north of California. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. This is in a desolate area. Yeah. You know, it's so, like BFE. Now, here's my thing. I like this scene. I think it's really cool, you know, seeing this. I think this adds a lot to, like, the thriller aspects of the show. But here's my deal. If this is there, why not light that on fire? Who leaves these scenes like this? Yeah, that's a big breadcrumb. It's foolish. It's foolish that Birdman left a crime scene at Casper's hideout. It's foolish that they'd firebomb a car right there next to the cops and stuff. Or even I'm, that, firebomb it right where the the person supposedly had supposedly the, stolen. Yeah, it, right, and trying to frame. I just think there's a lot of weird non-cleanup. Very poor planned. Right, like maybe the person that's in the bird mask isn't involved with the bad guys or the good guys. Maybe that person was just affected by what the situation is. There's always been a little part of me that, you know, since Ray wasn't killed and, you know, non-lethal ammo was used and the hard drive has been found... All that stuff that this is somebody who is righteous and is trying to do right by a bad situation that's happened to them. And that we're actually looking for a, a heroine or a, a hero or whatever you want to call it um, to just trying to build their own situation, you know? All right, well, so let's dive in that slightly. We won't get super deep into it. Who, who has the most to gain by having that hard drive? Obviously not Catalyst, because they're looking for it. Okay, and we think they're definitely tied in with the big bads, right? Mm-hmm. I can't think that the police have it, because they're tied in with Catalyst, the Vinci corruption. Okay? I know you think Lieutenant is the shooter. Okay, but I can't remember this. When Ray first gets there, he does see the camera and the hard drive, Right? Correct. But when he wakes up, it's gone. Correct. So the shooter took it. We think. Okay. So I can't assume Catalyst has it. No way. I can't assume Vinci has it because I feel like they're working directly with Catalyst. Here's the other thing. Here and who knows a camera exists? That's the key piece of question here. Bottom line is, we know young Jasani 
and Casper were in this scheme together. So the only people who would know are either people being extorted or you're a player in it. Okay? So who benefits from getting that out and it's not being exposed right now? You know what I'm saying? Right. That's why I keep going back to Lieutenant. I still think the Lieutenant's dirty. I think he was a person who might have even been in one of the videos, knows his location, and that's why we have non-lethal ammo used on him. He takes it, but he's in a position where he can't divulge it because he's on it. Okay. They're gonna, I mean, they, this really has to be explained, or I'm going to call bullshit on the whole season. <laughs> yeah. If Ray gets shot by non-lethal ammo... And it doesn't come back to be somebody who cares about Ray. Then this is just stupid to me, uh, and that's just because I don't have all the information yet. It yeah. may turn out to be perfectly understandable. Which, please let it be understandable. I just don't understand. The main reason I don't think Lieutenant is the bad guy is because I'm assuming that the guy in the bird mask is the same guy who firebombs the car. And I don't see Lieutenant at age 55 or older running, jumping over fences, plowing through uh, homeless people, and running away from Annie and them. I, I hear you. I hear you. That's Annie. my only immediate thought that comes to me is like, I can't see that person. But maybe it's two different people. Yeah, and who's to say the Birdman is the one who actually killed Casper? Who's to say this isn't somebody who's cleaning it up? Yeah. Trust me. My There's wild a card, lot missing here. Right. My wild card's Paul's gay buddy. Yeah. You know, which is ridiculous. I think the one weird wild card out there is the Russians and Awesome. Yeah. Because they're obviously tied to young Chasani and Blake well, too. I think we've seen the character who is Raven Mask because if we haven't or it's somebody you wouldn't notice, there's no point. Yeah, and why wouldn't if it was Awesome, why wouldn't they for real kill Ray? Exactly. So this is somebody who knows who Ray is. That's why I keep going back. The lieutenant is, I know we were talking about this early, but he is a big-time actor who doesn't have enough screen time to call a major player in the show, but he's just enough, and he fits the build. And, yes, he could. He dresses to the nines every time you see him, full suit. You know, there's just something to him. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll dive more into it in a minute. Okay. Um, so goes back to Frank and Jordan. Um, they're still in the bed. They're at their house. Um, you know, boom, boom. And the doors are knocking. My heart's pumping. I'm like, I look at my wife. And I was like, Jordan's dead. My, we're going we're gonna to see, a, we're gonna see like a, a line of ammo go across the wall and see Jordan take a few shots to the face. And you're going to see, uh, you know, Frank fall on the floor, grab a pistol, shoot a few rounds out, and then the car's going to drive away. So goodbye, Jordan. I'm just thinking that's how they're going to cap this show. My wife's like, shut up, you know. And so the, it goes on, boom, boom, boom. And, you know, of course, he cusses him. Hey, I'm coming. Grabs him a pistol. And I'm like, okay. Is he going to stand right in front of the door and take a shotgun blast, or is he going to lean to the side and check it? And he does. He leans to the side and he checks his diagonals. And, of course, there's old Ray. And uh, he's like, you alone? He goes, yeah. You know, he's like, we need to talk. And credits roll. But I like the gaps he has, because when he first opens the door, he he's like heavy breathing. Like, 
you alone? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And then it's like, we need to talk. You yeah. know, I love that. You can the tell, emotion is there. You can tell he's so worked up. He's enraged. It's yeah. awesome. And yeah. He's, it's going to be explosive. And it's like he's done so good, obviously, for the past 60 days. You know? And it's like, it's all uncorked itself. He, oh, he took it he out is, on Hitler. When we talk about unraveling. He is unraveled now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's going to be unleashing. There's no doubt. Getting, I can see this getting rough. Um. Uh, that was, of course, that was credits and great episode. You know, like I said, overall, I thought the great episode. I just, I hate some of the writing and acting, Vince Vaughn and some of those things like that. But um, let's get some feedback in this mix. Um, this was uh, Gore. Um, guys, I have to say, Rick Springfield's job as Dr. Irving, who is the guy Farrell be mess out of, has really been underrated. Uh, he has Irving. done a, an amazing job at playing a creepy doctor. The show was really different from last year in a lot of areas. But it seems to have the same pattern. Um, I'm losing my spot here. It seems to have the same pattern of self-destructive cops, and nobody in the, uh, is who and what they seem to. Be. And I really feel like the storyline might be too complex to even finish in eight episodes. What do y'all think? Oh man, that's always been my worry since we got to episode four, and they just really hadn't moved the plot so much, especially as concerned with Casper's death. This episode did a lot to move it forward. But I will say, there are a boatload of things that got to be tied up. And I mean a lot of things. There's no doubt. There is so much information. It's it's almost sensory overload this season. I'm, I'm wondering if episode 8, and I can't remember if last season, if episode 8 was a hour and a half or a two hour episode. Might have been an hour and a half episode. It might have been. I can't remember. It seems like it, you know, because all the Carcosa stuff and everything like that, it seemed like it took a long time. So maybe we got an hour and a half episode in the last episode, and we'll get a lot of stuff tied I up. I hope so. I mean, they're going to have to. I'll, I'll be really disappointed if every single thing is not tied up. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, JR says, I have to believe the final three episodes will be amazing. Like the author said, this has been basically a reversal in style of season one, starting quick and ending slow, with the four main characters to juggle and then making sure the background and why they care about them is expressed. It has been necessary for season two, but it's been a it's to be a little slow build to be, and for an exciting end. I think this would have been better as a ten episode season to show us more of the aftermath of the shootout from last week, but knowing how much ground they have to cover in the final three episodes, it should be highly entertaining to watch. The scene next between Ray and Frank should be amazing. I got to disagree about the whole shootout thing because, like I said, I don't feel like the shootout had much to do necessarily with the plot. Um, so I'm glad they had an awesome scene and then they moved on with the time jump. I actually really enjoy that. that JR, I appreciate the feedback. Um, I, uh, I'm i with a brother here. I think, I think the shootout was just a kind of a, a, a vein-raising moment in the series to kind of break up so much background and dialogue and setup. Uh, I don't really think it played much to the actual plot, but I'd like to deep. I dig more into it. Is that the shootout was awesome, but the, its intentions were to remove the cops, and it failed. And so a lot of people don't see it that way. Is that a lot of people are like, why do the shootout? Why do like they did? It was haphazard and all that stuff. I think. They were just it was Jasani and the corruptness trying to get rid of the investigation and the cops who were not following their g- direction on it. So I think it served a purpose. 
I just don't think it expressed it very well. Right. I think it was mainly just to wrap up the Casper case in a nice little bow, you know, whether the cops died or not. And to think about 10 episodes or eight episodes right now with five episodes done and knowing that there's only three left, that makes me look forward to the three episodes more because they can't bog them down with any more backstory or, or silly stuff. It's going to have to be any more slog or anything. Pure plot, pure moving forward. Um, Donald here has a descending, um, opinion. I am done with this season guys. Um, this is taking too long to get anywhere. I like y'all's cast, but it's just too much time spent on the personal lives and not enough on the plot. I will move, I'll move on to y'all's next show. There's just too much time spent on the characters and way too much on their personal life. And why do we even have Frank and his wife in this show? Um, next time. See you then. I like I put it in here. I was like, I never had a feedback. Just tell me completely done. I don't. How do you, Donald? Why do you quit on a series when I really feel like we're about to get neck deep in the good stuff? Well, I mean, I don't. It's fine if people want to quit, but I'm just like a super completionist. I can't start, even if it kind of sucks. I still feel like I need to finish yeah, it. I have to bear witness here and have confessional. My wife and I have watched every episode of Falling Skies. And this last season, we are struggling to get through <laughs> these last. They're coming on the same time, Sunday night, like at 9. And I mean, like, we got them on the DVR, and they are collecting dust on the DVR. It's just tough. I mean, for some reason, the first couple of seasons hooked us, and we were interested, but they have gone. This train has derailed, let me tell you. So, But we're going to finish it because I just I, I can't not finish it. We're going to see where it goes. Maybe it picks up, so we'll see. Um, uh, Robert comes in. The characters are so complex and perhaps excessive in number this season. There's a lot going on, and maybe by design. But one thing is the flaw is this persistent and gratuitous swipes but suddenly leveled at the former President George Bush. Um, how many times does the camera have to pan across a corrupt politician's bookshelf to capture a famed photo of the scoundrel next to the smiling former Republican president? Come on, HBO. This is Los Angeles. If we are shooting for realism, have a photo next to former President Clinton or even Barack Obama. Leave fantasy to Game of Thrones. Peace out. Yeah, this is just right-wing jobbies. They hate anything that has to go against them at all. I mean, the thing of it is, is I don't care what president it is. They're all corrupt, horrible people in my book. They're so, all bought. I mean, every one of them. I think a lot of them get in there thinking they have some ideals, and they're like, I'm going to make a change. Then they get in there, and they realize, oh, I'm just basically under the corporate thumb of whatever yeah. they decide. Yeah. I think stop focusing on that type of stuff and enjoy the show. Yeah. Um, Colin writes in, Colin Farrell has some immersed and dramatic acting chops. He totally owns the show and is running circles around the other character actors who are giving their best despite some pretty scrappy dialogue to work around. Due to the broken structure, plot development, copycat themes, and disappointing waste of real talent, I still remain hopeful that three episodes will be amazing. I agree. Thank you, Colin. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I really love Colin Farrell on the show. I think he has set himself apart as the number one. But there were some scenes in this episode Taylor Kitsch I really enjoyed. With the actress at the table, really enjoyed that. You know, I feel like in the right settings and with the right 
and the correct writing, all these people have shined. Yeah, I agree. Vince Vaughn, they have not done him any favors, and he is struggling behind. But I can't totally blame it on him because I've seen scenes where he's excellent. Correct. You know, uh, I just think again, if you measuring them all against Ray's character, that makes it tough because he he has the most to work with, and I think probably the best character to play. I agree. I, I think he's definitely the. He's the he's the rock of the and I, early I said I thought Annie was going to be the the main character but I don't I think Ray is still shined you know I mean you just think if this show didn't have him in it if Ray wasn't even a character Boy. would he be casting on this that'd yes. be tough done done um here <laughs> this guy this says box is his name i am completely lost this season too many sh- uh, storylines to distract from the central plot line i cannot explain the central premise of the show to someone who wanted to know why i watch at this point i am not sure why i even tune in each week um there's a lot but this was this was one of them this was a short one we got several of them going i pre- you know in which guys i really appreciate all these feedbacks y'all sending me this is awesome stuff can please continue sending in the emails and everything um a lot of them we're talking about that they appreciate our show because we give them a breakdown of everything to kind of decipher things people might miss or not understand or something like that because i'm not perfect either thank the lord my brother's a little bit sharper um there is a lot like I said earlier, a sensory overload of so much information about too many characters. I like there's four characters, but I've come to not like it too. Do you agree with that at all? Um, sometimes. Yeah. You know, cause the thing is, is sometimes I really enjoy certain characters and sometimes they just, they're weak, but I got to say, and this is not a comparison to the first season. This is more of just a, observation that we had a lot of the same gripes in the first season of okay okay enough you know let's just move on with the story i'm tired of seeing what's going on with their lives and i don't care about his daughter i don't care about his past unfortunately that's the same kind of person who wants a law and order they want something where it's quick to the point did i get it right yay you know what i'm saying and I, i appreciate all the development i just feel like and this is my my point. I think if a Frank character was not in the mix and we focused on three cops instead of two, considering how dynamically different these three are, don't get me wrong, you know, they all have their sexual dysfunction or lack of or you know traumatic past and all that stuff, but there's so much with just those three. Then Frank in the mix, and as much screen time as he gets, imagine if that wasn't part of the show, and I don't think we've lost much. I kind of disagree. I I like what Frank brings to the show because it's a different point of view. It's a point of view from the bad side. But now say, what if you took Paul out of the show? I think he's the biggest oddball out. I enjoy his role sometimes and a lot of times really. But ex-war veteran, I see. What does he bring to the table for the show? Right. Yeah. And the and as far as chemistry goes, Ray and Annie have the best. So I think it is better. And then you put Ray and Frank together, they have great chemistry. True. So I feel like if you were going to remove one character that, who I would hate to see go, but gives the least, I'd say it's Paul. Okay. I can see that. He has the most random of backstory stuff. A war past, 
uh, fighting off a gay and a strange mom. He's got, he's pregnant with a chick now. I mean, he has the most crap going on. True. True. Um, here, I'll read one more. I thought this was kind of funny. Um, LP wrote in, When I heard Vince Vaughn bleep, it's like blue balls in your heart. I face palm myself so hard I dislodged two neck vertebrae. Uh, and the line like coming out of his mouth, at least capable actor of the show, well, it's a train wreck and it keeps wrecking, unfortunately. And of course, if any of you had a druggy, sleeky, out of work mother and we had $20,000 in cash, we'd hide the loot in the easy to get to part of the trailer. Uh, it's Pizzolatto's world. It doesn't have to be realistic or make sense. It just has to be in a script. Finally, if I was HBO, I would impress upon Pizzolatto that he may want to perform an intimate act upon Mr. Fukunaka to get him to direct season three because it has become... I can't read what he wrote here. Clear, I'm going to skip that word, clear that Pizzolatto needs adult supervision and a quality director throughout. Maybe. I haven't had any problems with the direction. I don't even think there's been any issues with cinematography or editing or any of that type of stuff this season. Writers. Now, if Pizzolatto is writing every word of this script... Which I think he is. Which I'm assuming he probably is. I think he's he's dictating everything. He's brought in some help, even on one of the episodes you saw. Yeah, by a guy who has zero credits. I understand that, but at least that means he has have some help. In my opinion, that's bringing in a buddy to give him a little bit of something on something that's popular right now to give him a little start. It's possible. I mean, it's just like McConaughey and Woody Harrelson are on the credits. We both know, or both are positive, they have nothing to do with this show. Well, and definitely Fukunaga doesn't. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just everybody getting their little taste of something that's hot right now. I mean, it's just like the show. Everybody wants their taste. Right, but my thing is, is I understand that, Fukunaga in last season, that's the exception. All right. The rule is that you always have a mix of directors because no one signs on for an entire season like that. No one does that. So the fact that, you know, this season they have a mix of directors, that's the norm. It's very rare to get one director. And then, you know what? And that's probably why their relationship fell apart. Them two having to work together every day, constantly. I could see that falling apart. No problem. It's disappointing. It, it's disappointing because Fukunaga did such a good job. And it was yeah. wonderful. Well, I think the pair did a great job. Absolutely. I think they produced something that was revolutionary and is wildly loved and considered epic. You know? Right. And I think Pizzolatto probably learned a lot this season. Right. Uh, the last thing I'm going to read is a, a response I wrote to a writer um, for Business Insider, uh, Josh Riviera wrote a article saying True Detective is a bad show. And I read his little article and stuff, and he basically just bombs True Detective season one, two, the whole nine yards. And so I wrote I wrote him back in the little comment section, and I'll share it with y'all. Is, uh, uh, this is another example of a writer that believes that every show should follow a typical format and drop it perfect, easy breadcrumbs for the mindless viewer to follow. True Detective is an atypical and interesting for it. Crime drama that is much more uh, much more information surrounding it and excessive character development is an acquired taste, but it's appreciated for it. Unfortunately, the first season set a high bar, and this season re- never really was given any chance based on casting to direct decisions made. See how it wraps, and then talk then. 
And so I put out there for us. Um, and I truly believe that. Is that. Do I think this season is as epic as the first one? No. The main reason I think that is because we had a season one. And we had such an amazing, um, something new, unique, thrown something at you that was not typical. That was very random and unique to decipher. And that's what made it so special and why I loved it so much. And the reason we're podcasting today. True Detective 2 was never going to be able to achieve that, um, unfortunately. I think basically as soon as announced, uh, they announced who the castings were, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people had a lot of confidence in Taylor Kitsch or um, Vince Vaughn and maybe not even um, you know Adams or anything like that. Nobody had a good taste in their mouth. And so immediately your thoughts are this will never compare to Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey. And then finding out that Fukunaga is not involved and then finding out Pizzolatto's somewhat of a not so wonderful fella and <laughs> realizing that this is going to be a, with so many characters versus there was a lot of things that really put this, you know, in a negative light before you saw the first piece of film. And so a lot of people, I, I'm a true believer that, you can have a really, really bad movie be made up, can be turned into a great movie by how it ends to make you realize everything you watched before that was making you mad or confused or like that makes sense. And I think my brother and I both agree is that if they tie the tie all their ends up and come up with a really creative way of how this all entwined and have a big, oh my gosh, wow, look who that is at the end and like that, then we're all going to have that same satisfied feeling we had in the first season. And that's why I say wait to the end. And I think you're really going to be, or at least I hope you're going to be really impressed. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously I always say wait to the end, give it a shot. You know, I feel like the first season was so polarizing. You either loved the first half and hated the second half, or you hate the first half and love the second half, you know, or you just, you know, were kind of blah about the whole thing. Right. Just no one has the same opinion on the first season. And right. I feel like people just forget that, that that season was so just, I mean, abnormal. I think we all have kind of a, a little bit of shock when the season was over, you know, like, damn, I don't think we've ever seen anything like that before. No, we haven't. So, going into, so going into season two, I think everybody's ex- expectations were so in a knot, you know, I don't think anybody knew what to think. Yeah. And most people went into it at a, with a negative light because, hell, there's no way they'll be able to live up to that. You know, and shit, they had two A-list actors, you know, heading it out. It's just, I'm able to lower my expectations or have reasonable expectations going into anything. You know, know what you're going into and enjoy it for what it is. Exactly. Um, let's dive into our usual suspects, uh, section here, go down our characters, really kind of throw out some theories and what we think and have some, we have some new evidence and different things and looking forward to this part. We'll go through the, a lot of these. I think we're kind of narrowing it down pretty close here, but I want us to think more about, is this person the Ravenhead shooter? Is this person the mastermind? And let's talk about it from that point of view that, that we think that, yeah, let's, let's make this quicker. Right. Um, Ray, zero. Zero. You know, Annie, zero. 
Paul, I'm back to zero on this. They, they we're good here. Uh, Frank, I think we're definitely zero. I think our four main characters are not a player. Okay, you're still zero on Paul being this raven head. Yes, I'm, I've, I was a little bit on possible on that, but I just don't. I don't see it anymore. Okay, I, I, I did have that little inkling. I might give him five, but if they if he end up turning out, but which is still very actually possible. Because he's not in any of the parts when the other parts are going on. He is. It's convenient. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, I it would take a lot of in tying to Yes, do it would be a huge... I don't know if three episodes could encompass him being the, involved. Okay. Um, Frank's wife? No. No. I still give her at least 15 20% of possibly being connected. I just don't know why. Um, Blake? Um Potential Ravenhead shooter. I'm, I'm going to... Whoa. See, here's my thing. He is friends. Here's my theory on this. Blake has escalated into a high level for me of 65%. Here's why. Who, like we said earlier, who knows about the blackmailing scheme? Who who is on those tapes all right we've just we've noticed in this episode that blake is good with young jasani he's transportation there we know young jasani and casper were doing the tapes and so on it's a good it's a there's an olive branch there to say that blake probably knows about some of this extortion or he's part of the scheme in some way that maybe the reason we're having so much terrible cleanup on all this is because He's a bumbling idiot. Because they're bu- the young Jasani and Blake are just not the two smartest cookies. Even young, even old Jasani's like you know. I, unfortunately, he's not the you know. He can't handle sharpest the tool in the yeah. shed and that kind of stuff. And Blake is not that strong, and he's conveniently missing a lot during a lot of this stuff that's going on and so on. So maybe they've already shown us. Now Blake dresses with a three-piece suit. He's a taller guy. You know, he has the physical capability. Young Jasani could be the other masked guy who would be running away like a chicken like that guy was. So it is a strong new percentage to me that Blake could possibly be Blake. He could be the bird shooter, you know, the raven mask, whatever you want to call it. And it seems very plausible. Yeah, no, uh, as of last night, I was... Much higher on Blake being the possible shooter. Um, a lot of it being he is so eager to move up. I could easily see Asap telling him, you know, you need to do this. You need to do this for me. You know, take care of this. Take right. care of this. You'll the work on, your way up. The only chink in the armor is the non-lethal ammo. In a way... I don't think they want to kill Ray, possibly because I think Blake knows that the guy Frank gave Ray as the attacker of his wife wasn't the right guy. And if Ossip gives orders, because I'm beginning to think that the guy Ray killed is going to end up being a Russian. Okay? Okay. And so say Ossip's like, no, don't kill Ray. Put them down, whatever, so you can get the what we need. But is if we start releasing information to Ray, Ray will take care of Frank for us. I got you. The non-lethal ammo is the thing that keeps 
it's like flying the ointment. It just doesn't it make is. sense. It's a weird Here's one. A, you know, the only thing I can consider plausible, Dixon was dirty. Dixon had his fingers in blackmailing, you know, stuff like that. So what's to say that young Jasani had dealings with Dixon. He was part of the guys who was taking pictures. He was a dirty cop. Blake's involved. All this stuff. These are all your underpinning of whatever, you know, if Casper was a mass spot, whatever, I don't know. And maybe that gives him an an option to a police issue Ithaca pump shotgun, by the way. Um, even the shotgun looks like a, a police issue. You know, and and which, by the way, the Ithaca pump shotgun is ninety five percent of their sales are the L.A. L.A. Sheriff's Department and City Police and so on. So, you know, you look at it that way. The reality of it is, is that that type of, it, there is a reason they showed a police issue shotgun and used police issue ammo. It hurts Blake being the shooter, and it supports me saying the lieutenant is the shooter. I'm just trying to I'm trying to bridge that gap. I'm trying to figure out, you know, because I mean, like you said, the guy who flames the car. Do I think that's the lieutenant? That's weak, in my opinion. Could it be Young Jasani? Yes. You know, could it you know be Blake? Possible. You know, I don't know that, but we'll get to that. It does seem sloppy. Everything yes. seems very sloppy. In which if. Just young Johnny's a dimwit. That makes sense. If Blake is a guy who doesn't think things out, who should get his way to the top, plausible. Oh yeah, this is all very plausible, right. but very sloppy. Exactly. You know, I just, I don't know. They haven't shown us any other police officers that I think could use. Now we'll say the diamonds, which were stolen from evidence locker, those are missing. So someone inside the department is getting things out of the department. So. Is somebody providing the shotgun for somebody with the line? I have a theory about that as well. We'll get to that in a minute. All right. right. Ray's partner, which is dead. No, Dixon is not in the mix anymore. Uh, The mayor, do we think he's the kingpin of this whole situation? No. No. I am. I think he's under the catalyst group, but not involved in this. All right. Now, mayor's son, little Jasani. Ravenhead. Not the Ravenhead. No, I don't think he has. This guy was cool, collective, and shot Ray before he had a chance to even get his pistol up. This guy is determined, decisive, experienced. You know, when you were talking about, like, you know, uh, Paul's, you know, buddy, he has the chops or experience to execute those two shots and look as cool, calm, and collective as he was. That's what keeps coming back to the lieutenant. Guy who dresses that way, can handle a police issue shotgun, knows the lethal range, those kind of things. So it's just not going to come off my books on that. Uh, but I do think the mayor's son is involved, but I don't think he's Ravenhead at the most. He's the one who torches the car uh, to try to cover evidence for someone else. Uh, I think Tasani's son is in over his head. And doesn't know it. I think he's messing with big time people that's going to get him in a lot of trouble. Right. I don't um, think he's smart enough to, to pull off certain things. And here's another thought I've got too. I I wonder sometimes if the bad guys win this season. 
that you know like there's a possibility that Ray like we talked about maybe gets shot to pieces at the end and realizes all that stuff Frank doesn't make it nobody comes out with a happy ending and that the bad guys ultimately it just tells you big corporation always wins and that's what I've told you remember that's my thought is that all of them end up in holes it could it can definitely look definitely it could be more plausible now with the way I've seen the season go um, the chief of Vinci PD hadn't even seen him in two He's episodes. He's kind of gone now. Yeah. Looks like. Um, Catalyst guy, I don't think he is a player in any of this because they're looking for the hard drive. He's not the shooter. I think he's. I mean, I, 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 he's not running the shooter. It doesn't look like. No, I think they're just businessmen and that are connected. I, I think they're the top of the heap as far as it's the railroad deal. Right. Um, Casper's secretary, she's falling off the radar. Yeah. Uh, don't see anything there. Elliot, Annie's dad. Um, so I think Elliot's going to be tied into the big wigs. I think he's going to be tied into connection to the, the big powerful people. You know what I mean? But actually to be a part of the, com- the murder conspiracy. No. And what thing is, is the shack they just went into with the arterial spray and the nastiness. Being in Gundersville or whatever. And that's I, his old stomping grounds. He could I be think, a red herring. I think he is just a convenient connection to Annie and a past that is, touches all this old money and corruption. But they're all there. I mean, Pitlin's there. I just, I just don't feel it. Here's my new suspect who could be possibly the shooter, possibly even more involved than we ever thought, Annie's partner, Elvis. Here's my reasoning why. Police issue shotgun. Non-lethal ammo. Knows the house. Location. Phone calls. Was upset that they didn't get the case by themselves when the body was discovered. Um, He's got some things that are trying to make him look a little more possibly involved. Go ahead and hit me to the zero. Go ahead and do it. Zero percent. Peace, crap. Right. No, I think this guy's just a a pawn in the whole thing. I think he's just a connection to Annie because Annie has no friends. Okay. Well, it, like I said, keep going back to that police issue. Goes back to that ammo on Ray. Why is the hard drive not exposed? If it was somebody that was going to do good with it or whatever, there's just there, God, there's something little tidbit missing. If he's part of it. And doesn't know about the Gundersville crime scene and the missing girl. You know what I mean? Like, why give Annie any information? Why try and help her locate that stuff, you know? True. I'll give you that. But he's definitely come on the radar for me. I got him at 25%. I mean, they keep showing him. You know, he's yeah. not He's not he's ever not pushed dead. to the he's background. A, he's still a character involved. Yeah. Uh, the waitress, we hadn't seen her in forever. I think she was just put in there to show... We talked about she had a stone-cold look at Annie in this episode. Oh, that's right. Well, she looked at him going, you know, you know like, why are you trying to talk to my man? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm moving up the ladder on Scarface. Really? Yeah, I have this... She's got the Scarface. We know that women are operated on. They tend to be, it looks like, illegal aliens or undocumented people. I mean, who's to say she hadn't been, you know, a runaway, got her out, you know, was Knows in the some deep shit and saw some things, you know. 
you know, maybe she's the one that's getting the $4,000 payments from Casper every month. You know, it's like, I don't know. I think there's something going on with Scarface. We still haven't met Tasha. Tasha's still in the uh, Who could? Th- that's another uh, another loose end. We don't know. And the thing is, is this person honestly, Raven Mess looks like a man. Okay, and the guy who torched the car looked like a man. Uh, absolutely. Um, just from slender build, no chest, you know, to speak of. Because Scarface would make sense to be wearing a mask. You know what I mean? It, Correct. You know, give that something. Some reason, man, she's they keep showing her just enough, and they're just putting her in there, you know what I mean? Like, she's gonna have a role to play, yeah, even right. if it has something to do with getting Ray out of the country at the end, you know. I don't know, I don't know. We'll see. Um, my wild card was the foreclosure couple. The guy's missing now. Things are a little different. I think, unfortunately, we can take them off the radar because the reason we saw them is now because they're delivering the pictures and the evidence, and that's the reason they were shown in part of the pie. They're the connection to the missing woman. Uh, so they're, they've definitely dropped off my radar. Um, Paul's buddy, um, you know, Black Mountain fella. See, this is one of the weird ones where he's not in the episode, but I think he's conspicuously not in the episode. Because you're seeing where Paul's trying to move on to. But they showed this guy quite a bit, you know. Be weird to shoehorn him in just for a side gay plot. Zero percent. (laughs) (laughs) I think his only purpose was to show a connection to his either homophobic or homosexual past. Okay, but he's also the only connection to Black Mountain. I think it's just more about character development. Like I said, we're sensory overload for every character. Yeah, but we're mega sensory overload for Paul. I agree. I absolutely agree. He's still my wild card. Still your wild card. Yeah. Solo wild card. (laughs) Anyway, um, that's it on the usual suspects. You know, I'm going to say my grand finale theory still is is Lieutenant's the shooter. Um, And he... Is pulling strings for our, oh my God, I can't believe he's this involved person, whoever this is. And I want to, you know, I don't, uh, that's, but don't get me wrong. The Blake and young Jasani thing is starting to look more and more. And yes, I think we're going to have more Russian involvement and I think we're going to have more the powers that be and those kind of things. But the Casper death seems significant to burn the eyes, blow the junk off. Um, that was hard- gonna, I was going to bring that up too. Why would Blake or Chasani burn the eyes and shoot the junk off? Yeah. it's That's a retaliation type of kill. Right. Like something on that tape or something that person has done or has in their past, this is retribution. Not to mention you sit on the roadside staring at a catalyst sign you know, billboard with catalyst, you know, it's like, that's what makes me think it's, um, it's a single entity here. Here's, here's another thing that supports me. And I, I may have failed to mention this earlier is that remember Ray's dad talks about the Lieutenant and how good cop does good thing like that. But he was smart. 
He got out. He went over like that and stuff. Why give us those character traits of him? Why tell us about that? I think he's a good cop that is making decisions he has to make in a corrupt system that's paying in the way he's paying him. And that's the reason he doesn't like that we're taking so much manpower because he knows what's going to go down. He, you know, the mayor's orchestrating this stuff, but he can't show that. He's the reason he doesn't kill Ray because I think he thinks still Ray is good. I think he's got something in, his, in there where these guys are making millions and millions and destroying everything, and that good cop that is still in him with a conscience, and this is him doing this and that's the reason he sends the message of the eyes blowing the junk off and the whole nine yards lieutenant is the raven man so let me get this straight you're talking about taking the opinion from ray's extremely racist (laughs) terrible cop father (laughs) he was a damn good cop smart cop got out when he should back when we could do it do what we want back when we used to be able to just bash any black guy's head in yeah. we wanted. Use bricks. Yes. Yeah. It was off the books and everybody understood. Yeah. Rodney King's a hero. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Lieutenant's a great guy. He sounds like a real champion of it's the It's another tidbit of information that you didn't have to know or hear about. Hey, don't hate that I have legitimate evidence of mine. <sighs> you're nice. Hey, you know what? He's another guy that they always show. Exactly. He's always in there. I think Pitler is off the list now as shooter. Yes. Uh, but, you know, he was the sharp-dressed guy. Same type of boots and stuff like that. It made sense. Doesn't have the physical demeanor based but, on the Ray beating. Right, but I'm saying, judging just by looks, he fit the profile of the, the shooter. Well, the mask was probably pretty dark under there, so that matches him wearing sunglasses all the time. Yeah, <laughs> he likes his shade. Yeah, okay, whatever. Um, and I'm, um, you know, there was a little part of me that was like, you know, what, what do we have? What's the information? What's, what have we learned? What is the show really, really trying to show us? What are the questions left? You know, I mean, we learned that the DA, I'm sorry, the attorney general is now running. We've learned that the case is closed. We've learned that Dixon was dirty and that their diamonds are involved now. And what do they play in the part? We know the mayor's son is now involved. And we also know Blake and, uh, Osip or Osip is definitely a player. We realized that um, Frank actually was part of the contamination scheme and that uh, the person who ran the place has just mysteriously died. Um, we also know that the camera and hard drive have not been discovered or used, as far as we can tell, still missing per se. Um, Catalyst is definitely worried about what's on that hard drive. It has something to do it. it it's fearing the investors or what they're going about. So we've learned all that. We've also know the, the lieutenant is still looking into old details of the case, especially Dixon and what, what he was still doing. We also know that the House of North looks as it was vacant for a long time and has potential cr- old crime scenes we don't think are Casper's. Um, we also realize you know, who could be those crimes and who what was happening here. We also, uh, Pitler confirms that the Jashani family has a history of doing something really bad that even his wife couldn't live and had to be taken out. You know, And so there's old corruption there that goes back to a lot of things you were talking about with your original theory. I mean, And, and don't forget Bizzarides. Yeah. Mom. Was exactly. also treated by Pitler. Exactly. And walked out. And, and just walked into an ocean. Out. 
So there goes that, you know. And then we had these new stinging questions, you know. The Raven Mask, was he the person who actually kills Pasper? Or is he just a person who's cleaning up? The mask person who firebombs a car, which seems absurdly ignorant and sloppy, is it the same person? Is the missing girl that they're talking about still alive? Is she still a player? Is the cartel going to return and retaliate, you know? How do we see each one of these characters ending in this show there's so much going on so many things and there's no clear direction and i think that's completely on purpose yeah i think the one major plot detail that this whole thing hinges on is why was ray not killed why was he hit with lee's left ammo yeah and that's it's I think the that's one the, trump card in this whole thing that I, is keeps spurring everything. I think that's the number one loose end that they're gonna have to tie up really cleanly. Yeah, it's mm, that's I don't get that. Um, you know, until next week, then um, guys, we're gonna do call it a day on this show. We're gonna do a little three, you know three second pause and do a quick preview thing. We've been running long on this episode, but it's been a good episode and a lot of good uh, stuff. Um, Guys, we really appreciate the feedback. We love that we've been getting more positive reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and some good comments. Uh, Please continue doing that stuff. That helps us. We're really trying to expand this show. Uh, We're really enjoying what we're doing, and we appreciate you all listening. You can always catch us at bleedtvpodcast at gmail.com, as well as at bleedtvpodcast on Twitter. Uh, You know, the show's going on. Hit us up. We'll tweet you back. We've got some good – we've had some good back and forth with some guys, uh, especially a few people who are just not really happy and you know we just had some good dialogue we're we're fans of the show we're not critics and so there's a there's a big distinction in our minds and so don't don't hesitate and if you got like i said you got a few minutes give us those reviews it'll really help us out we really look forward to it but uh other than that i think we're going to call it for this episode and like we're gonna do a little quick pause before going to preview yeah and uh don't forget we actually have revamped and cleaned up our facebook page that's it's, right uh, bleed tv at facebook you know or facebook.com slash bleed tv uh, and we actually do have a website um we uh we 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 use podbean to do our podcasting we've actually had great service with them and they the interface and everything has been spot on we hadn't had any issues or complaints and our website is bleed tv dot podbean dot you know come um and it has all of our shows and some good cool clip art and you can play it through that server online and everywhere else so um pass that and hit us on a follow or subscribe there as well we we greatly appreciate it um but if that's it uh, we're going to call on that and take a little pause and go right to preview all right uh, the preview was another short and sweet one but uh it starts off with a bang you got frank and ray sitting at the table and they both have guns in their hands. Now, Ray has got a gun drawn in his hand pointing at Frank. And Frank still has his in his war, you know, his um, robe. robe. Uh, so, you know, do I think they're going to draw down each other? No. Uh, I think we're going to have some dynamic dialogue. I think we're going to have a great scene. But I think Ray, ultimately, my theory is going to realize if he blows him away, this is not going to help his case for keeping his kid or staying on this special investigation. In a way, I think that Jordan's going to come out of the back room and probably Save point a gun at him and get him out of the house. You know, good thought. 
Very good thought. Um, then we see a picture of Annie at the party. Uh, you know, she's getting um, Hang on one second. Jordan is at the house, right? She is. She's in another room. What if Jordan overhears the conversation between Frank and Ray? What does she think of Frank giving false information about a guy's wife getting raped and using him as doing dirty work? Mm. Jordan could really take a turn on Frank if that's the case. Very true. You know that could be some sizzling stuff there. That could be kind of cool. That could be really cool. Heck, she could walk in and point the gun at him. You know, but I don't see it happen. But yeah, I mean, you're on no, the money. I could still see her pointing the gun at Ray and telling Ray to get out and moving him along, and then turning her fury on Frank. No doubt, no doubt. That could be that could be juicy. I like it. Um, Annie at the party. You know, she's got they're like no cameras. They're frisking her. She's got her wig on. And obviously, she makes it into the party. Um, you know, these this high socialite party, big power B, whatever you call it. Um, Paul, there's a quick scene of him, you know, uh, saying, we got to have your back. And you see the a charger, like, screaming down the road and making a hard turn. And, um, and then it shows these creepy scenes of, like, people sitting in a chair like under a building with all these stone pillars and columns everywhere. And then another scene where like a group of people are in the dark or walking through like a recycling facility and one's got a weapon and, um, you know, it definitely gives you that vibe of like Russian mob or, you know, they take you know people here to, you know, beat the information out of them before they, you know, sing you goodbye or, you know, you know, sleep with the fishes the rest of your life. And so it's definitely going to go more into the true players. I do believe we're going to see that coming very quickly. And then you're going to see a scene where the door, door busts open. I paused it and I slow mode this. You know, Frank's henchman, the big guy who had a ponytail and beard, kind of sounded Russian. Yeah, it beats up the guy that he, they beats the guy up at the car, right? You know, under the underpass. It's him that blows that door off the hinges, kicking it in and stuff like that. And he comes through and then it cuts away. So we're going to see him back in play. Is this Frank's at his behest or is this, you know, this guy working for Osip? What? You know, my theory is, is that this is Frank's guy beating Plus, doors down to find the camera find and hard Blake. drive. No, yeah. I think this is the guy beating down to find Blake. Very possible. And uh, so I think we're going to see Frank in action. You don't see him anything past this table scene, but his character arc's not done. And so he's going to be hot and heavy for this camera. Yeah, because I see is if Ray tells Frank, Pitler told him that young Chasani was involved and I saw Blake and Ossip with him. And what that happened, and he knows that they were into the blackmail on these parties. And that's where he would assume the camera and stuff is. You know what I mean? So I see him easily busting the door down, going after Blake. Yeah, very much. And then it closes with uh, Frank and Ray at the table, just with these death stares at each other. And it's it's wickedly anticipating, amazing, I'm drooling to see you next week. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and that's the end of the preview. I will tell you that the next episode's title name is um, Church in Ruins. Um, not really feeling... 
none of the titles have made sense for the episodes, so I couldn't tell you this means anything. You know, I uh, don't even remember a church being involved so far. So, you know, but a church could be like the be big like party. Elliot's thing. Yeah, it could be, it could be, it could be Elliot's thing. It could be the debacle. It could be a lot of things. Um, the seventh episode's name is called Black Maps and Motel Rooms. Black Maps. Huh? Anyway, um, and then the last one is called Omega Station. And uh, I don't know what you could read into that. And this is what IMDB says is are the last three episodes. It's got no plot points or anything like that, but I right. uh, thought it'd be something interesting to throw into the preview section. So, um, man, I'm just looking forward to next week. Uh, I've talked my brains out tonight, guys. I appreciate y'all listening. Had a blast. Uh, tune in. Uh, next week, we'll hit you up again on Monday night. Uh, but other than that, I think we're calling it. Uh, this is Bleed TV, and I'm Zach. And I'm Jake. See y'all next week. Change will come to those who have no fear. But I am not her, you never were the kind of.